how you're doing? I love it that Anna always forgets about Switch considering she runs it. So it's awesome. And uh, thank you, Anna. It's so good to have you all back in the room today. Okay, you're not excited about that? Cool. Um, I'm excited about it um, because we hated doing church the other way. Sorry, I'm just getting myself sorted out. What was wrong? When iPads attack. So good to have you all here today. I'm just so stoked that we can have you all here today. Just a quick thing, you you should have got an email uh, this week with your tithe receipt, Um, so check your spam boxes just in case it went in there. Um, And if you haven't, there are some people where we've got your letters because we don't have your email address uh, just at the information desk, so you can grab that afterwards. um, But it's really, really cool to have everyone here, and um, I'm so excited because... We're building towards Easter. Easter is such a great time of the year for us. I'm excited because we get... I'll just give you my keys, babe. Um, I'm excited because we get Easter eggs. All right, I've brought Easter eggs for all of you for Easter, but only the ones that said, whoop, are getting them. Everyone else is not getting any. Um, and, and we've got hot cross buns. Traditional, not these chocolate chip flipping ones. It's like Jesus didn't try on the cross for you to have chocolate chip. You know, like, I need chocolate chip ones because I'm a baby. No, you go for traditional. Be a real man and real woman. Traditional with jam and cream. Yes. Come on. All right. Um, But I've been reading over and over and over and over again the Easter story. And I like to do that as we come towards Easter, and, and as I was thinking about what was I going to talk about this morning, I couldn't help, but there's always been this one thing that Jesus said that has always caused me to kind of be fascinated by this, knowing that Jesus knew that his role or what his father had sent him to do was to die on the cross for each and every one of us. This, this one thing that he says uh, in his famous last words is just one that has always kind of gripped me, and it's in Matthew 27, 45 to 46. It says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. So that's basically midday. It's, it's, it's afternoon, so it's not nighttime, right? Our darkness came all over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I've always had the question as to why God would forsake him when he was right in that moment doing the very thing that he sent him to do. And then my question for you and I would be, have you ever, ever felt like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever had moments in your life where you feel like the preacher gets up there and goes, God never leaves us nor forsakes us, and you're like, hmm. You know what I'm talking about. These great scriptures that we quote, but sometimes we look at our lives and we think to ourselves, I'm not really sure that, that I've experienced that. I feel like God has 
forsaken me. We've got to remember right here in this story, it's the middle of the day, and the Bible says that darkness came over all the land. And I don't know for sure why that actually happened. I can't tell you genuinely why the darkness covered the earth in that period of time. But I can tell you this, that in that moment, Jesus, that we know, became sin. And when he became sin for us, his heavenly Father turned away from him. And when his Father withdrew his presence, the world went dark. I think the key for all of us, or some of us, is to understand that when our world gets dark, maybe we've walked away from his presence. To me, the loneliest words ever spoken in Scripture is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There, there are things in life that we go through that just don't seem right, eh? Like when people die young, good people die young. When God answers some prayers but not other prayers, why he heals some people and not other people. Some people aren't able to have kids, it just doesn't seem fair, yet others just have to be around each other and they get pregnant. <laughs> that was a bit dangerous there for a minute. So why, why do so many things seem so unfair? Why, why does it seem that unfair things happen? I mean, Jesus is here on the cross crying out to his father, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me when I'm doing the very thing you instructed me to do? Why have you forsaken me? And we, we don't have answers to all these questions like, why do some people get healed and others don't? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does all this, some of us don't have answers or we don't really have answers to that. And then you have these well-meaning Christians who say things like, the reason you're going through this difficult time is because it's your fault. There must be sin in your life. There must be a secret sin in your life. Uh, at that time when people say that to me, I'm about to say, it's not going to be secret for much longer. I'm about to punch you in the face. There must be sin in your life for this to be going on. Or how about this one? If you had a, a little more faith, this wouldn't be happening to you. So therefore, we conclude it's either sin or a lack of faith. But anyway, it's your fault. Or the next thing they say is, it's Satan's fault. The devil's attacking you. Could it be Satan? I don't know. It might be Satan. It, it could be him because he works against us. And the evil one is always out to destroy us. And it could be that your hard time is because of Satan and not actually your fault. Who knows? And then the next person will say this to you. So first person says it's your fault. The next person says the devil's doing it. And then the next person you talk to says it's the will of God. The will of God. It's the will of God that you're going through cancer right now. What a stupid, religious, idiotic statement. My Bible says it's the will of God that none should suffer. That by his stripes we are healed. It's not the will of God. But which one is it? Is it somebody's fault? Is it Satan? Is it God's will? Please help me out here. Maybe, maybe it's two of those that it's happening. So it's my fault plus Satan. Or it's plus Satan but God's will. It's God's will plus... I'm getting confused. I'm not really sure. 
the, the reason why I get really annoyed with stupid answers like that to people when they're going through a hard time is the problem I have with it is that often these are complex situations and we just think that that's a simple solution to the outcome. And it's not. These things aren't simple. Some of them are very, very complex. And we know that for Jesus, from the moment he was born, Satan attacked him. We know that. We know that, that he tried to have him destroyed and killed even as a little baby through Herod, Herod the king. We know that in Jesus' hometown, he was, he was known as a prophet without honor. That at one stage in Jesus' life that he was standing on the edge of a cliff and these guys wanted to push him off the cliff. Uh, people called him a heretic, called him a fanatic, said he was demon-possessed, said that he was drunk, said that he was a glutton, said that he hung out with the wrong kind of people, that Jesus was not one of us, that he was from the wrong side of the street. He was falsely accused. He was tortured, beaten, and taken to the cross. He went through all of those things. And the thing that I find so interesting about all of that that Jesus went through is whenever Jesus suffered at the hands of men, he never complained. I find that a challenge for me, personally, because I've had some crazy things said to me in this season by people. But Jesus never, ever complained at the suffering of men, never complained once. In fact, the only time I can find in the Gospels that Jesus ever uttered anything that resembled a complaint was when he became sin for us, the world became dark, and his father turned away from him, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's really easy to have faith when the sun is shining, but it's another story to have real faith when the darkness sets in in our world. And Jesus never complained about the suffering at the hands of men. He only ever complained at the absence of his father's presence. And I think about that as a challenge for me for my life because I'll complain about the sufferings of men but really my focus should be, and our focus should be, the only thing that actually really matters is his presence. I, I don't care what people say, just don't. It, David, the King David said this, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Like restore, and he, he was more concerned about the presence of God being removed from his life than anything else that was going on in his world. And so we have this thing where he's going through the darkest time. And my question is, is when we go through dark times, how deep is our faith? How deep does our faith go? You know, there's a, there's a story in the Bible about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were standing one day before King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king at that time of the entire world, really, of the Babylonian Empire, and he had built this nine-foot-high uh, statue made out of gold. And, and he made this declaration that everybody must bow down and worship it. And these three boys' response to him was, no, 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 we're never going to worship your idol. We only ever worship the one true God, and he alone will we worship. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, no, boys, you don't understand. If you don't worship this idol, then we're going to kill you. And the boy said, no, no, we're not going to worship the idol. 
And the king said, if you don't do it, this is your last chance. If you don't do it, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace and burn you alive. You see, it's easy to have faith when you're safe. It's another story to have it when you're in a real life situation where you have to see if your faith is real or not. How deep is your faith? How real is your faith? When darkness enters your world, how real is your faith? These three boys, um, Meshach, Shabrach, and Abednego, say the greatest words of faith, I think, in the whole entire Bible when they turn around to King Nebuchadnezzar and says, you know, when he says, I'm going to destroy you, their response was, well, you can destroy us, but our God will deliver us. Their response in their darkest moment was, our God will deliver us. Incredible faith. And then they took their faith to a whole nother level when they turned around and said, even if he doesn't save us, even if we burn alive, we won't worship your idol. We will follow him. We won't bow down because we only serve the one true God. How deep is our faith in that moment like Jesus had, where it's, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? The incredible thing to me about Jesus is as he endured the physical pain, the emotional pain, the relational pain, the only thing, as I already said, that he needed was his father's presence. He never complained about the physical pain. He never complained about the emotional pain. He only complained once the father turned his back on him and walked away. It's the only time that he complained was when his father had to withdraw his presence. And it looks like in this moment, and it would look like it for you and I, that, that Father God has abandoned Jesus, but we, we only really see part of the story when we just look at it that way. You see, in the middle of pain, I have to remind myself, and you have to remind yourself, that we're only seeing part of the story. We're only seeing the moment that is happening right here, right now. We don't always understand everything because our ways are not his ways and our thoughts are not his thoughts and his thoughts and his ways are higher than our thoughts and our ways. God sees the big picture. He's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end and everything in between. And we can just take a snapshot of a moment and think this is what's going on. But God sees the big picture of everything. He is infinite in wisdom and he is more than I could ever comprehend. And the only way that I can kind of describe it to you how we only see part of the picture and not the big picture would be to tell you a story of when Madison was 12 months old and she had to go and have her immunization shots. And, and Trinity was like, I'm not taking her. I'm not taking her. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not put, I can't, I can't do it. So I said, I'll do it. I manned up. I said, I'll go because she was wussing out. And I remember going into the doctor's surgery and, and Madison was just as happy as anything. And, and I had, I think, oh no, it was the second time that you had Erica with you. But I, I took her in and she was happy as anything. She had no idea what was about to happen. She's playing with the toys and thinks dad's amazing. And by the way, she's in the other room. Let me just say, she still thinks I'm amazing. Don't say that to her. It's just our little secret. 
And um, she's in the room, and, and they come in as they do, and then they, and she had these beautiful, chubby thighs. Another story I'm going to tell you, you can't tell I told you this either. We used to joke about Madison that she had more rolls in a bakery. <laughs> um, and she had these beautiful, chubby little thighs, and then, of course, the shot goes in, doesn't it? You know, boof. And her face went from this happy to this looking at me like, why? Why are you doing this to me? Dad, why have you done this? Why? Why, Dad? And she cried. And, and she was too young to understand that ultimately what I was doing for was for her good. All she saw is that I'd taken her to this place where she had suffered pain and heartache. She couldn't see the big picture. She couldn't comprehend that actually what I was doing was for our ultimate good. She could only see part of the story at the time, which was the pain of the shot. And when I think about Jesus dying on the cross, and you can imagine the different stories or different parts of the stories that different people saw. There was the crowd that had been yelling out about him three days early, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Their part of the story was probably looking at him on the cross and going, finally, we got rid of another heretic. We got rid of another person that was a problem. Then there's the disciples that are looking and they're going, whoa, hold on a minute. Wait a minute here. What is going on here? You know, we left our homes, we left our families, we gave up all of our possessions, we honoured this guy, we followed him, we did everything that he said to do, and now he's dying? This is the end? It can't end this way. This is not what I signed up for. This is not how it's meant to be. And then you look at Jesus' part of the story where he's like, hold on a sec, God, why, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Why have you taken your presence away from me? And then God's part of the story, Father God's part of the story, where, where God's heart in that moment was surely breaking as he turned away, making the most sacrificial, sacrifice, selfless act of love that you could ever imagine because he loved you and he loved me so much that he allowed his son to suffer for you in his place. And I think, why? Why? When Jesus says, why God? Why have you forsaken me? He forsook Jesus because Jesus became sin. Why did God forsake him? Because Jesus became sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friend, I want to tell you something, and I want you to hear this this morning. Don't ever forget that God hates sin, not the sinner. He hates the sin. And wherever God finds sin, sin must be judged. And Jesus became sin for us and died on the cross in our place. So why did God not look on him then while he was doing all that? Because in Habakkuk 1.13, it says, God's eyes are too pure to look on evil. He cannot tolerate wrong. So when Jesus became sin, hatred, murder, adultery, rape, jealousy, envy, lying, when Jesus became all of those things, God's eyes were too pure to look upon him, and therefore he had to turn away. 
Because God is so holy that when Abraham beheld the glimpse of his glory, he said, I am but dust and ashes. Job, when he saw a glimpse of the presence of God, said, therefore, I despise myself in his presence. Isaiah, getting a glimpse of the presence of the glory of the Lord as his train filled the temple, said, woe to me, I am ruined. He said, I am becoming undone. Why? Because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Woe is to me. I am ruined because I've beheld the glory of God. God is so holy and God is so full of love that from his perspective, when the world asks, why did you do that? He will tell them, I did it for you. I did it for you. I did it for you. That's why I did it. The son was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be forgiven. Jesus became sin and died with sin and was buried in the grave. And three days later, God raised him from the dead, clearly displaying that death, sin, hell, and the grave had been defeated by the Son of the living God. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God would say, I did this out of love for you. If you're asking why God has done all this stuff, if you're hurting and you don't understand, please never forget the Father's part of the story that he did this all for you. I remember a few years ago, I read a story about um, if I can just get Cullum to jump on the keys, that'd be cool. I read a story about a, a dad who had two loves in his life. The first one was his wife, that's a good thing, and his eight-year-old son. And His eight-year-old son absolutely idolized his dad, absolutely idolized him. And his dad had a job that he loved, and he, he operated a drawbridge. And so when the boats would come along, he would lift the drawbridge up so the boats could go through safely. And, and, then, and then when the trains would come along, he'd lower the drawbridge so the trains could go across um, with, with all safety. And, and he would raise it up and drop it down and pull a lever just at the right time so that the ships and the trains would be safe. And he really had to be accurate with his timing and, and communication because otherwise people's lives were at risk. He had to make sure everything was done right. And then one day, he, his eight-year-old son said, can I come to work with you, Dad? I want to see what you do. And so he decided he would take his son with him. And him and his son were having an absolute blast that day. It was late in the day, and he probably about 14 or 15 times lifted the drawbridge and brought it down without any problems or anything. And it was towards the end of the day and a train was coming and the son had walked off and so the father is looking for the son as the train is coming and the drawbridge is up and he's looking for his son to make sure that he's in a safe place before he pulls the drawbridge down. He was afraid to throw the switch because he didn't know where his son was. And there's so many dangerous places where they were where his son could be. And without knowing where his son was, he started crying out to him. 
Son, where are you? Son, where are you? Finally, his son responded by saying, Dad, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And the son had, son had somehow wandered off and he had wandered down around the huge gear shift that operated the bridge. And the, and the father realized that he had one of the most, probably the hardest, most important decision he'd ever have to make in his life. With, him, with moments to make his decision, he could either throw the switch, putting his son at very, very serious danger, possibly killing him, or he could save his son's life and let hundreds of passengers on the train fall to a certain death. And in a split second, this father made the most sacrificial decision a father could ever make. He threw the switch and he watched the gears start to turn and his son was quickly caught up in the gears and he turned with panic and fear and looked at his father with a look on his face as if to say, why? Why? The father couldn't bear to look at his son, so he turned away and his son screamed out in pain. The screaming didn't last long as the son was killed very quickly and the father's heart was breaking, watching the drawbridge successfully close. And the passenger train traveled by. And as he looked at the train with just crying coming out in his darkest moment of his life as this grief and pain and suffering came out, he watched the passengers of the train go by completely oblivious to what, his, what he had just done for them. There were dads sitting there reading their newspaper. There were some ladies talking to each other. Some passengers were playing cards. And the father looked on knowing that he had just given up the life of his son. And these people were unaware and didn't care about what he had just done. Can you imagine for a moment what the Father God feels like when we live our lives without taking notice of the most sacrificial loving gift that anyone could ever get. That we get so wound up about all these other things, but we just don't care about the sacrifice that was made. Jesus is in this moment. He didn't care what people had done to Him. He just didn't want to be absent from His presence. I want to be someone who's not absent from His presence. Let man do whatever he wants to me, but I want to be in His presence. I want to be in His presence. I don't want to look at the sacrifice that He made and not care or carry on with my life or worry about what kind of house or car or anything else. So I want to be worried about Him and the sacrifice that He made and honour it and live for it and make sure that I'm constantly in His presence and understand that the holiness of God and His love and His holiness, He made such a huge sacrifice that when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's response was, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have the everlasting life. That's why after what Jesus did for us, God said, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you because He paid the ultimate price so that you and I would never, ever be alone and never be absent from His presence. And some people in the middle of their pain might go, God is nowhere in the middle of my pain. But I want to tell you that those that draw close to Him in the middle of your pain, you'll understand that God is here now. Here now. God is nowhere. No, He's here now. 
He's not absent. He's here now. He absents himself from Jesus so that you and I could have him here and now. He became sin so that we didn't have to be. He suffered the pain of being out of God's presence so that you and I could always be in His presence. And as Jesus showed us, His presence is all we need. We don't need anything else. We don't need anything else. We just need His presence. And all the suffering that Jesus went through, the only time He complained was the absence of God's presence. I think we live in a world sometimes, and I put myself right in there with you, where we complain about a whole lot of things. Just about all of them are first world problems. Why is the internet going so slow? What do you mean there's a two-minute wait on my burger? No, that matters. It's His presence. Jesus showed that on the cross. He only felt forsaken when His presence departed and He found Himself in a dark place because God's presence had gone. I want to ask you a question. Maybe the dark place that you're going through is dark because you've walked away from His presence. And if you just step back into His presence, darkness can't shine where light is. Maybe you haven't been forsaken. Maybe you have forsaken. And God is standing, well, I'm not God, but God is here today and He's saying, hey, 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 hey. I haven't left you. I haven't forsaken you. I'm here now. I'm here now. Why don't we all stand to our feet just for a moment?